0: Justice Human rights are women's rights. Save the world.
1: <laughs> Welcome to Global Dispatches. This is your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. Yarmouk is a large settlement of Palestinian refugees on the outskirts of the Syrian capital of Damascus. Earlier this month, ISIS was reported to have taken control of much of the settlement. What was already a desperate situation facing the residents of Yarmouk suddenly became much, much more dire. In a briefing to reporters outside the Security Council last week, here's Ban Ki-moon, who's not exactly prone to exaggeration, described the situation.
0: In the horror that is Syria, the Yarmouk refugee camp is the deepest circle of hell. A refugee camp is beginning to resemble... Death
1: camp. The UN has been trying to negotiate a way to reach residents of Yarmouk with humanitarian aid or otherwise try to facilitate their exit from this death trap. On the line with me to discuss these efforts is Richard Wright of the UN Relief and Works Agency, otherwise known as UNRWA. This is a special UN agency dedicated to the humanitarian needs of Palestinians throughout the entire Middle East, of which hundreds of thousands have been caught up in the Syrian Civil War. This is an important episode, and I trust you'll learn a great deal about how a UN humanitarian agency like UNRWA operates in these kinds of exceedingly difficult environments. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I post one of these shorter interviews about topical global issues every Thursday, and longer interviews with foreign policy intellectuals and thought leaders go up every Monday. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to subscribe for free. And here it is, my conversation with Richard Wright of UNRWA. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
0: Y- Yarmouk is um, uh, a sort of triangular area in the south of Damascus um, and used to be the home of about 180,000 mainly Palestinian Palestine refugees, but also Syrians. And, uh, you know, as a result of the uh, civil war in Syria, vast numbers of the population, about 90% of left, so that certainly in recent times about 18,000 people remained in this area, sort of triangular area, uh, and to all extent sensitive purposes, they were besieged and, and beleaguered within this area, uh, the majority of them, as I said, Palestine refugees. Now, um, during all this period, UNRWA, my agency, uh, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Panasonic Refugees, has endeavoured to supply food, uh, you know, water, medicines, uh, hydration salts, and you know, basic elements of life to people trapped there. And we've been able to deliver, unfortunately, only uh, about one day in three because of the security situation, and um, with essentially a Syrian. Uh, army armed forces controlling the outside of the camp and um, uh, other armed forces within the camp uh, in a, a you know situation where the uh, remaining population were sort of trapped within it so we, we were only able to deliver about one day in in three and you know the people i think it's important to notwithstanding you know recent events which have obviously made the situation worse that the the position of refugees in, in the camp were was extremely um, serious. So, uh, is, I mean, right. basically,
1: they were surrounded by the Syrian army. Uh,
0: yeah, which and... And, d- and, and, and
1: within, within the camp itself, there are various armed factions. Well,
0: exactly, exactly. And, you know, we don't know exactly the composition of all these armed factions. There's no doubt that uh, ISIL came in in, uh, I think it was the 1st of April. And this has changed the... Uh, composition of the armed forces within the camp uh, led to some, possibly some realignment. But I mean, the net, you know, our primary concern, uh, of course, is the fate and the situation of those who are, are trapped uh, within the area. Did and- did the um, uh, did did ISIL coming in? Result
1: in a reduction of humanitarian access by UNRWA to no the, the well
0: camp? i mean it 's made it yeah, i mean we we, we haven 't uh, to my knowledge been able to distribute anything there at all. We have been able to distribute some access to some people who were able to leave um, but you know, you know we, we didn 't have it 's certainly not made the situation any better let 's put it like that i mean i I think you know we we have no access, and that 's what our primary concern is, and we want. To you know, facilitate uh, arrangements for those who wish to temporarily leave uh, to be able to do so. So these are the you know our two sort of humanitarian uh, priorities. Um, I mean, to, i.e. to protect the civilians uh, who are there and, and those who might wish to temporarily leave. And, you you know, this um, requires the cooperation of everybody on the ground. And as you probably saw, my Commissioner General, Mr. Krenboh, is uh, in Damascus, has been in Damascus for the last few days trying to uh, facilitate arrangements and make arrangements so that, you know, the people within the camp can receive humanitarian assistance and those who are temporarily, uh, you know, to make arrangements for those who wish to do so to temporarily leave. And have, have you been able to do that? Have you been able to get people out? Uh, some people have left, but I mean, you know, I, I can't confirm the numbers. But I mean, basically, they were the ones who left uh, initially. There may be some others. We're trying to, obviously, we, we, we what, what, we're, you know, we, we are, you know, we want to help all those who uh, are able to leave, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but you know, it's just, just extremely <coughs> situation of fluid on the ground. I mean, I don't have the, you know, information from today uh, exactly what the situation is. But I mean you know, we're hugely concerned because, I mean, once again, just to emphasize the point that these are people who have, you know, uh, been very seriously, you know, the calorific content of the food they've had is about, you know, I think uh, I sort of think it's sort of, you know, about one-fifth of normal calorific intake uh, and needs, you know, it's just, uh, vulnerable women, older people, uh, pregnant women, uh, you know, <clears throat> very, very, very serious situation, which has obviously been made immeasurably worse by the... Um, for the arrival of uh, ISIL into into this area, and you know, essentially, people are being instrumentalised. Um, you know, they're pawns in the middle of a conflict which they're you know they're not the origin of. And um, you know, I'm afraid, the civilians. Uh, you know, these civilians are suffering enormously. And you know we want, we want to do everything we can
1: to help does does getting people and civilians out um i mean it seems to require you know that you negotiate directly with the armed groups that are you know in control of the areas where that these civilians reside i guess how how do those um negotiations
0: transpire well, you know i don't know the details i, I don't know how that is, how, and if it's taking place. So what I can say is, you know, we have in the UN prevailed uh, upon all those who do have influence on the parties to use that influence from wherever that may come from. Um, you know, you're obviously talking to representatives of the Syrian government, um, and seeking their assistance. Uh, uh, and, you know, we're, we, you know, we're, we're certainly in an ongoing dialogue with them. Uh, The Palestinian authorities, uh, PLO, have also, you know, uh, been, um, uh, you've seen public statements from them. Um, You know, I think everybody in the international community, frankly, wants to see, you know, uh, some form of arrangements made so that, um, you know, people no longer suffer this sort of Untold indignities, uh, um, and uh, as I say, those who wish to temporarily leave, be allowed to leave—I think some may wish to stay—but they need to be given assistance, you know. Uh, and uh, this is going to be very complicated to um, to arrange and, and negotiate. But I think that there's, that dialogue is is ongoing uh, as we speak. Um.
1: So I wanted to ask you about the situation of Palestine refugees in Syria more broadly. Um, Before the outbreak of the Civil War, what was their what was their situation? What was their you know I guess both political and, and humanitarian situation? How many people are we talking about? Um, and you know did they generally get along with the government or was there you know yeah. tension? No,
0: there? I, I mean, you're, this is a very good question and um, one you know that frankly is, is often lost in all this this maelstrom of disaster and violence. But I mean the Palestine refugee community. Uh, you know, prior to the uh, beginning of the civil wars, in the order of 540,000 people or so registered with us. Um, they were well treated. You know, they were actually, you know, relatively well treated there, and indeed absorbed and part of the community. The, the 80% were in, uh, in Damascus, and actually the largest community of all was was Yarmouk. Um, which is the, the area now under siege. So I think it's it's very important and fair to point out that, you know, people were relatively well treated. They were still refugees. Um, but, of course, the, conf- the, the conflict has led to massive displacement. I mean, of that 540,000, 280,000, we estimate, 260,000 or so uh, are displaced, um, you know, internally within Syria. And uh, about 75,000 to 80,000 have left the country. Uh, about the latest figures I saw were 45,000 or so in Lebanon, about 15,000 in Jordan, about 60,000 together, then plus you know, <clears throat> others who may have fled to Turkey, to even beyond, to Egypt. I saw reports uh, some, some time ago people even getting as far as Asia, and certainly some Palestine refugees from. Uh, Syria have died in the attempt to make the crossing from uh, from the Middle East uh, to uh, to Italy, um, where most you know these illegal crossings uh, take place. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is just. And, and, and I mean, I think the other important point to add to that is that you know these are people who are refugees are now being displaced for the second, third, or fourth time. So you can imagine I mean, psychologically what damage this does. But I think, I, I, and come back to your initial point, I think it is it is very important and fair and important to say that, you know, traditionally the refugees have been, are Palestine refugees have been well, uh, relatively well treated in Syria. And indeed, I think, you know, if the circumstances would allow, um, many of those who've left would choose to return there, you know, uh, to, and probably to Yarmouk, which is, you know, which is a, a, a sort of active and lively hub of, of the Palestine refugee community in, in Syria. Um, the
1: Palestine refugees who are now refugees from Syria in, in surrounding countries that you describe, uh, yeah. is their refugee experience any different than uh, non-Palestine Syrian refugees? Uh, are they treated differently by host governments well, because of their status yeah. as Palestinian refugees?
0: I mean, Palestine refugees in um in uh, Lebanon, uh, you know, do have a, a, a special status, uh, you know, of concern to us for for many years has been, you know, the lack of access and rights of uh, the refugee community there. And in, in in Lebanon, leaving aside those who fled to Lebanon from Syria, they, we, we have uh, about 450,000, if I recall, uh, registered Refugees in Lebanon. Although probably the actual community there is smaller than that, about 300,000. So not everybody is currently residing there. Then to that 300,000, you have to add the 45,000 or so who fled from from Syria. But so the 45,000 who crossed have uh, basically been absorbed mainly uh, within the Palestinian refugee communities that exist there already. There are ten, if I recall, ten refugee camps. Um, so a lot of them have, have have sort of migrated, if you like, to already overcrowded refugee camps. Uh, I've met some of them personally when I was there a year ago, and, you know, they're living in fairly dire conditions. We're supporting all those who need support, which is the vast majority, uh, to the best extent we can with sort of cash assistance and non-food items and help for, uh, you know, uh, housing to the extent that we can afford it and we, we have the money to do it. But the reality is that they're living, you know, in very difficult conditions. And, you know, the nature, it isn't easy for people to get work in in, in the Lebanon for any Palestine refugees because of the measures that um, uh, don't allow access to large, large parts of the labor market. So, you know, their position is obviously of one of extreme uh, or, say, heightened vulnerability. Um, I think in terms of you know the work opportunities uh, it's probably better for the syrian uh, refugees who go to the lebanon but i think one has to acknowledge and and recognize the huge efforts made made by the lebanese government to absorb this massive inflow of people uh, well over a million people you know i think i've seen estimates of total refugees i mean that's i mean ours the palestinians were quite small in terms of the overall numbers you know so you could have a, a, around sort of 30% of the population you know, that's currently there is uh, of, of refugee origin, and this, you know, is putting tremendous burden on the uh, Lebanese state, the institutions, the institutions of support the labor market and everything. And I think, you know, one, uh, Lebanon obviously needs support, and is uh, the current plans, the Response plans and uh, for for uh, neighbouring countries, which also, <coughs> also include Jordan, you know, very much focusing on the need to provide sort of help to uh, sort of resilience, if you like, to strengthen resilience uh, in the host communities to allow them to um, absorb and, and uh, you know uh, act as uh, temporary mm-hmm. refugees for all um, the people who've left. Um,
1: so so it seems that. Um Right now, uh, just kind of going back to Yarmouk, um, it almost seems like it's like a, currently like a microcosm of the worst aspects of the conflict in Syria with various armed factions uh, fighting you know, viciously and civilians caught in, in the middle. And it's uh, kind of reminiscent of this almost iconic moment caught on a photograph uh, a year ago, probably the most iconic photo of the Syria conflict uh, of sort of civilians, uh, and you know, I'm sure many many people who are listening to this have seen, uh, just sort of you know huddled in in this huge mass of humanity. Um, yeah. Could you describe that photo and and what was yeah. happening and what effects it has had no, at all on your operations? You're
0: quite you're quite right, and you know, I mean I couldn't agree with you more on that photograph. And you're absolutely right that it is it's become a sort of iconic image of all the situations in Syria where civilians are trapped and and besieged and you know there are more than 200,000 people who are uh in this uh, situation and this this picture was is was actually taken by uh, one of our <clears throat> staff uh, at the end of January 2014 and it showed basically people uh queuing, huge numbers of people queuing for, you know, relief supplies from our agency, from UNRWA, food, water, medicines etc. Um, literally at the beginning of when we were able to to deliver because up to the end of January 2014 we hadn't been able to deliver anything at all for, for about seven months something like this. So you know, the faces of the people the, you know, the gaunt uh, <coughs> harrowing looks of people who are you know you know desperate for for supplies i think is 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 very striking and you you describe it quite correctly and it is it became you know the image of besieged populations in syria although it was actually taken in Yarmouk. and you know these are people queuing between devastated buildings hollowed out buildings damaged by uh, by by the Civil War, so you're quite right, and and that is the situation now that is prevailing <coughs> again, um, and uh, the situation that we're trying to deal with. I mean, just to, you know, perhaps refer to secretary what the Secretary General himself of the United Nations uh, said uh, uh, a few days ago uh, on, on the 9th of April, he said, and I quote, um, the Syrian war long ago exceeded words to describe the mayhem. Now the fighting has plumbed new depths. In the horror that is Syria, the Yarmouk refugee camp is the deepest circle of hell. I mean, I think this, you can't really put it more strongly than that. You know, he then goes on to their refugee camp is beginning to re- resemble a, a death camp. The residents of the Yarmouk, including 3,500 children, are being turned into human shields. I mean, and this is very, very strong uh, and, uh, you know, striking language from, <clears throat> from, uh, from the Secretary General himself. And I think it summarizes the sort of situation that we're currently trying to deal with.
1: And, and what, Peter Kreinberg, your, your boss is doing in Damascus right now is trying to negotiate with the parties on the ground in order to just alleviate some of this suffering.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and to try and provide access of humanitarian supplies to try and help those who are temporarily leaving, to help those who have already been able to to leave, and I think uh, without putting words into his mouth, I mean to create a sort of sustainable arrangements that will endure, you know, um, and I think that that certainly will be, you know, a challenge because of all these shifting sands that are that are taking place in in that environment, and he's doing so, you know, with the help of our other colleagues and. Um, you know, he uh, 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 hopefully will, will be successful in his mission, but it's uh, extremely challenging.
1: Uh, well, thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate no, your time. No, not at all. And thank you all for listening. And if you are a regular listener of the podcast, thank you, first. Second, it'd be fantastic if you could leave a review on iTunes. It helps other people who are similarly interested find the podcast. Also, if you have recommendations of people I should interview or topics I should cover, just hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg, or you can send me an email via the contact form at globaldispatchespodcast.com. I promise you, I read them all. I will see you next time. Bye.